Well, good morning again, and happy Father's Day to you all. And in case any of you were wondering um, about our pastor, Mike, and why he's not here, Pastor Mike is learning how to become a grandpa. <laughs> for, for those of you who have not yet heard, uh, Jager Dean Richardson was born last evening to, uh, to Mike's daughter, Alexi. Uh, and I, I love the way Mike puts things, okay? I can kind of kid around <laughs> since he's not here. But you know how if you ask a woman when, when their child was born and how much they weighed, do you get an approximate? You get a precise time. I mean, my mom told me I was born at 3.45 in the morning. And I thought, oh, wow, okay. Uh, but I get this note from Mike and said, well, yeah, he was born around 9. I sent him a note around 5.30 last night. You know, how are things going? And uh, he said, well, you know, uh, Dean, you know, Jager Dean Richardson, he was born around 5 p.m., okay? And he weighed around 8 pounds, 13 ounces. <laughs> And I just love it. I love it. You know, that's a pretty good sized kid. And the word on the street is that uh, the parents are considering draft offers from both the Patriots and the Rams. <laughs> now, now uh, before uh, Pastor Mike had left, uh, if you'll recall where we are right now in, in uh, First Peter, is that he had gotten up through verse 5, chapter 5, verse 5. And he had prepared to speak today from the second half of verse five uh, to verses six and seven. He had prepared, it was a great message, it was all set, and then uh, things happened. <laughs> and this is an opportunity of a lifetime. And so uh, he had contacted me yesterday morning. And as we talked about it, I said, well, you know, why don't you just do this? I'll take verses eight and nine. We agreed, I'd take verses eight and nine of first Peter chapter five. And next week, Mike will be able to give the, the sermon he had planned to give today, uh, which will cover verses, uh, the last half of verse 5 and 6 and 7. However, to give a framework for um, the message that I'll give today on verses 8 and 9, uh, we're going to read from 5, what we'll call 5b, down through verse 9. And that way it'll give us the context. I'm going to teach, though, from verses 8 and 9, and then he will teach from uh, 6 and 7 next week. Clear as mud? Yep. It covers the ground? Okay, well, there we go. Well, turn in your Bibles, if you would, then, to 1 Peter chapter 5, and I'm going to read from uh, 5b down through verse 9. And then, as I mentioned, we will then study verses 8 and 9. 1 Peter 5, 5b through verse 9. God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon him, for he cares for you. Now moving on to today's passage. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Resist him steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. 
very interesting, very pa uh, interesting passage. Now, as we take a look at verses 8 and 9, I'm going to look at four basic things, four basic points. The first point is going to be a charge to be watchful. And we find that in the first, actually just the first few words of verse 8. Uh, and I'll call that 8a. The second thing we'll look at is confirmation of our adversary's identity. Confirmation of our adversary's identity. That is in verse 8b, the second part. The, my third point is the cause of our adversary. And by the cause of our adversary, I mean, what is this guy up to? What is his cause celebra? What is his objective, if you would? And then the last point, four, is confronting our adversary. And that's what we find in verse 9, confronting our adversary. So let's hit up with the very first point, the charge to be watchful. And really, it's just the point is wrapped up in four words. Be sober, be vigilant. It's a short command, but it really has a strong sense of urgency. Watch out. Basically, it says, be serious-minded, okay? Don't go slack. Be serious-minded and watchful. Look out because there is something that's very dangerous or a personage or something that's very dangerous that is afoot that has serious, serious implications. That's the first one, is a charge to be watchful. We, in our Christian walk, or have been given this charge to be watchful. Well, why do we need to have this charge to be watchful? And that brings me to the second point, is confirmation of our adversary's identity. Why should we be watchful? Because your adversary, the devil. You and I have an adversary in our walk with the Lord. We have an enemy. And Peter calls it out right here. We have this enemy. And that enemy is the devil, or Satan. Satan is not an imaginary being, as some may suppose. Okay? He is real. He is a live personage. And he has been around for a very long time. If you go back to the dawn of humanity in the Garden of Eden, he appeared as a Satan to Eve, and he convinced her that she should eat from the tree of the fruit of knowledge of good and evil. Because if she knew good and evil and could distinguish between the two, she'd be like God. Interesting. So she, he convinced her to eat, and she ate. And as a result, a curse was placed on all mankind, which we are still under. But also, a curse was placed on the serpent, and we are not to forget that. And the curse that was placed on the serpent was that God would put enmity between the seed of the woman, between her offspring and the offspring, the seed of the serpent, and that he, that the seed of the woman would crush Satan's head. Crush Satan's head. In the process, though, Satan would bruise his heel. But this personage that would come would crush Satan's head. Now, we know who did that. Jesus Christ did that. It has happened. It has been done, accomplished at the cross. When Jesus died, took our sins upon him, he took the full punishment. And, you know, I don't know if any of you saw the uh, Passion of the Christ. 
there was an interesting, it's a very difficult movie to watch, but there's this thing there where it has Satan and he's talking to Jesus while, you know, in anticipation of Jesus going to the cross. And he says, nobody can take the punishment. Nobody can take that punishment. You can't do it. It's impossible. And Jesus committed, went to the cross, and Satan in that, you can see him in the background, he's turning up the heat, the heat of pain and everything, because there was a price arranged between Jesus Christ, between the Father and the Son, back before creation, before the creation of the world. There was a price that was going to be required to cover all of our sins. And that is why once Jesus had reached that point, had paid that price on the cross, what did he cry out? He cried out tetelestai, which means what? Paid in full. And it wasn't until that price was paid in full that only he and the Father knew what that total price should be. Then Jesus released his spirit. He said, Father, into your hands I, commend my, my, I commit my spirit. In other words, nobody killed Jesus. He could have been up there as long as indefinitely. But there was a price to be paid, and when he had paid that price, he then released his spirit. It's an incredible, incredible thing. So the price has been paid, but continuing on down to understand our adversary, because we need to understand more of who, he, who this personage is, in Isaiah 14, verses 12 to 13, and also the first half of uh, verse 14, says this about a personage named Lucifer. It says, how you are fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning, how you are cut down to the ground, you who weaken the nations, for you have said in your heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will be like the Most High. This personage, Lucifer, most likely also referring to Satan, wants one thing is to set himself above and above even God himself. Interesting thing. In Ezekiel 28, verses 12 through uh, 15, Ezekiel was writing about toward, and speaking of the spiritual influence behind the king of Tyre. And here uh, Ezekiel writes this. And you can tell that this is not about the king of Tyre himself because of the things Ezekiel's going to say here. But he's looking at the influence behind that king. And he says, You were the seal of perfection, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. You were in Eden, the garden of God. Okay, that takes him way back. And this means you've got a personage there that's other than just the king of Tyre. You were in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone was your covering. The sardius, topaz, and diamond. Burl, onyx, and jasper, sapphire, turquoise, and emerald with gold. The workmanship of your trimbles and pipes was prepared for you on the day you were created a created being. You were the anointed cherub who covers. In other words, you were the top dog, the top angel, if you would, in heaven. You were the one who, was, who, who oversaw things. He says, I established you. You were on the holy mountain of God. You walked back and forth in the midst of the fiery stones. You were perfect in your ways from the day you were created until iniquity was found in you. So you have this personage here that represents the devil, represents Satan, if you would, and it's a created being. Never forget that. This being is a created being. 
This is not the creator. This is a created being. There are cults out there that will tell you that Jesus and Lucifer were spirit brothers. Okay, they would like you to think that they're on the same plane, but that Lucifer is the bad guy and Jesus is the good guy. I, that's not the way it works. Okay, Jesus is the creator and Lucifer is a created being. Okay, and just like, like the Bible says in John 1, it says, in the beginning was the word. The word was with God. The word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by him and without him was not anything made that was made. Okay. And then it goes on a few verses later to say, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us or tabernacled among us. And we beheld his glory as of the only begotten of the father, full of grace and truth. So Jesus is the creator and bottom line is as the creator he's also responsible he created lucifer this being lucifer and he's going to deal with him and he dealt with him on the cross he basically stripped lucifer of any significant power he would have yes he's still a powerful being and we're going to talk about that here but jesus has overcome and bottom line is lucifer is nothing compared to our Savior, Jesus Christ. Okay, that was, in, that was in Ezekiel. Now, in Revelation, we find, and it's describing an event yet future, in Revelation 12, verses 7 through 12, it says this, describing an event yet future, this is what John writes, and war broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought with the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought, but they did not prevail, nor was a place found for them in heaven any longer. So the great dragon was cast out, that serpent of old called the devil and Satan who deceives the whole world. He was cast to the earth and his angels were cast out with him. Then I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, now salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ have come for the accuser of our brethren who accused them before our God day and night has been cast down and they overcame him, they, the brethren, overcame him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony and they did not love their lives unto the death. That song that we sing where it says they overcame him by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony, that is true, but it, it falls short. And they didn't love their lives. They sought, they committed their lives, even unto the death in cases, they committed their lives to following Jesus Christ. And that is instrumental in him and Satan being removed, if you would, from, from heaven. Okay? And so it's interesting that he is cast down, he is removed at that point, but he is referred to as what? He is the one, they identify the dragon, makes it clear that that old serpent back in Eden was the devil, and he's known as Satan. Okay, that same one is cast out, and he's also known as the accuser of the brethren, who what does he do on our behalf? He accuses us day and night before the throne of God. That is what this personage is up there doing, even right now. But guess what? Guess what? What do we have when you've got Satan up there pointing out every little thing that you did throughout the day? We have an advocate with the Father in the person of Jesus Christ. 
And Jesus just looks at the Father and says, that one's mine. They're forgiven. And guess what? When they're forgiven, when they accept me, I give them my righteousness. Jesus gives us his righteousness so that when God looks at us as we're being accused on one hand by Satan, and yes, with all of our deficiencies, he looks at us and he sees what? He sees the image of his only begotten son. That's what he sees. And that is the most wonderful thing that we could imagine today. But Satan, as the accuser of the brethren, getting back to 1 Peter, he is clearly our adversary. We have, he has confirmed and identified who our adversary is. Our adversary in our walk with the Lord is Satan, but we have life and forgiveness through the person of Jesus Christ, and he identifies us as his own, and we are also identified as his bride. Absolutely incredible, just absolutely wonderful. That brings me down now to point number three, which is the cause or the objective of our adversary. The cause or the objective of our adversary, we find that in verse eight, the last part of verse eight. And it says here, he walks about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Wow. Uh, <clears throat> some of you may know, some may not know. Uh, I, w I grew up in Africa. Uh, my folks were missionaries in what was the Belgian Congo, and uh, we lived way out in the middle of, of, of nowhere. The closest uh, Belgian settlement to us was about 80 miles away, and where we went to school was about a couple hundred miles away, which is a two-day ride on dirt roads and, you know, each way, so it was kind of a, a long commute. But you go to school for three months, and you come home for a month. But anyhow, there was this time on the station where we were that... Uh, um, a family of lions, a male, a female, and two cubs, came through. Just kind of came through the area. Now we had a, we had two cows. We had this bull and a, and a couple of cows, and they were kept in a, in a pen area. And fortunately, they missed us. But they hit a neighboring village, and the neighboring village, when they hit, uh, we had to go out and look at the aftermath. The Africans would tie. They'd tether their animals, like goats and sheep and the like, just outside the huts. And what you found was these lions had gone through and chomp, 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 uh, bit the heads in many cases of these animals. And all you had was a hole in the head down to the brain. But they were going to come back and eat them later on. Okay, but they, they, they killed about 10 or 12 animals there, which is a lot for the, for the Africans to have to deal with. And we ended up having to hunt them down and, and, and deal with the situation my dad did. But, um, and I got to go with them. I, Dad had the elephant gun, and my brother had a buffalo gun, and I had my slingshot. So <laughs> it wasn't going to do much good, but we, we, we went along for the, along for the, for the trip. But in the, interesting, in the last few months, I've really been kind of intrigued. Have any of you ever watched uh, the wild animals on YouTube and watched how lions will attack their prey? I mean, it is really fascinating, okay? One is sometimes a, a lion will go after prey itself, and usually they do it for not quite as big a prey, okay? But when they go after the larger prey, I mean, they go as a pack, okay? And what's really interesting is that, I mean, on a smaller animal, they'll chase after it, run it down, crunch and munch, and, and there's lunch. But uh, when you get the larger animals, 
It's a different story. Like if they're going against a Cape buffalo or a hippo or a rhinoceros or even an elephant, a mid-sized elephant sometimes, they'll do that. You get one lion and a giraffe that will jump up. They'll pounce and they'll jump up onto the back of that animal and sink their teeth into the spinal column, into the spine, and sit there and chew and chew while they can, to, to try to, to kill that, or, or, or basically to paralyze the animal. Meanwhile, the other animal, the other lions are grabbing a leg here and there and a throat there. I mean, they're doing what they need to do, but it's, it's an amazing thing to watch. They're very, it's very vicious, it's very graphic, but you know, they gang up and they wear down and paralyze their prey. Now, sometimes you have a situation with like a, a buffalo or an elephant or even a rhinoceros or, or a hippo where the, um, where the, the, uh, another animal will come to the rescue of the, of the lion's victim. And the lion doesn't always win in those cases, okay? And they can pretty much, uh, when others, like a buffalo comes to, a couple of buffalo will come to the rescue of, of, of one that's been down by a lion, they can do a number on the buffalo. So it's, it's a pretty vicious kind of a, a circle that these guys go through. But the bottom line is you've got a teamwork that's happening to bring the victim down. It's a teamwork that's happening to bring the victim down. And it's, Peter is saying that, you know, that the devil works the same way. And the ones that get rescued it's because the others have kind of come along and, and, and done a number on the lions and kind of broken up the fight, so to speak. And Peter is saying that this is how Satan is behaving with us. And he looks at us and he knows, and just like a lion too, they'll, they'll look at a, at a group of, of animals, a herd of animals, and they'll, they'll, they'll separate out the weaker, the smaller, you know, best of all. But if they have to go after a big one, they'll do that too. But when they go after a big one, like I said, they gang up on them. And Satan does that to us, okay? They'll wear us down. And if you find a Christian has been separated himself from fellowship or has been worn down in areas, he just kind of puts on the pressure, puts on the pressure, puts on the pressure. And, that's, and his whole intent is to devour and to destroy. And yet, there's this hint here that we can come alongside, as Christians come alongside each other, okay? And we're going to talk about how that's done here in just a little, in, in just a minute. But it's very difficult for a lone animal, no matter the size, to be able to withstand a lion's attack. And when you can't, the, the times where they do, they are able to attack, I mean able to withstand, is when you have the other animals ganging up against the lion. Even a zebra can take on a lion. I mean, that's amazed me. You, you see shots of them chomping. And, you know, it's, it's, it's interesting. But anyhow, and, and enough of that. But we see this, this whole idea of lions sorting out and figuring their prey out. We see that in Satan's behavior in the book of Job. In the beginning of the book of Job, okay, in, 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 verses, in chapter 1, verses 6 11, it, talk, it says this. It says, Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came among them. And the Lord said to Satan, okay, he says, From where do you come? And Satan answers the Lord and says, From going to and fro on the, on the earth and walking up and down and back and forth on it. Does that ever remind you of the lion walking about, looking for prey, seeking whom it might devour? And God says to him, he says, Well, have you considered my servant Job, that there is none like him on the earth, 
a blameless and upright man, one who fears God and shuns evil. And this term when he talks about, have you considered my servant Job? It's like, have you been evaluating him like one general would evaluate another general before going into battle with him? Have you been checking out my servant Job? And he says, and he, how upright he is. So Satan answers the Lord and he says, does Job fear God for nothing? Yeah, he's been checking him out. He says, have you not made a hedge around him and around his household and around all that he has on every side? You have blessed the work of his hands and his possessions have increased in the land. But now stretch out your hand and touch all that he has and he will surely curse you to your face. So yes, he had been checking out Job. And he made his conjecture this challenge to, just like a lion checking out his prey, Satan was checking out Job, the, very much the same way. And he says, but you know, and this is something for us to remember, what was Satan's answer about Job? I can't touch him. You put a hedge around him. <laughs> See, and that tells us that Satan cannot do anything to us that hasn't been filtered through God's love, okay? And we may think we're going through some awful, awful stuff, but he cannot do that anything and that has not been filtered through God's love. And when God lets things like that happen, there is a purpose. We don't know what that purpose is, but we are told to cling to the Lord through the process. We are to cling to the Lord through that process. And so we find in the case of Job, Job was a righteous man, and yet God permitted Satan to take his family, take his possessions, and ultimately plague him with boils. He would not allow Satan to kill him, though. He would not allow that. So Satan, each time, could only go as far as God would, as God would allow. And there were circumstances for which this needed to occur here. And so, what do you do? Man, that's when you look at what happened even in the book of Job. What do you do? when you're dealing with an adversary like this. Pretty heavy. He is our adversary, and he is seeking to destroy us. And you've got this powerful being, but we're seeing glimpses about he can only go as far as God will let him. And we are God's children. Okay, so that brings me to my fourth point, which is confronting our adversary, confronting our adversary, and that's in verse 9. And here what... what uh, Peter writes in verse 9 about this adversary who's out to destroy you. He says, resist him steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. In other words, when we look at the things that we are encountering today, from day to day, oftentimes, I'm sure all of us have said, what is happening to me is worse than anything that could ever be happening to somebody else. And what Peter is saying is, no, what you are going through is the kind of thing that your brothers and sisters in Christ are also having to experience in this world. It is something that is having to be dealt with. And so, but if you resist him, then things are different. Like he tells him, he says, resist him knowing that the others are suffering the same way. But James 4, in verse 7, James writes, and this is James, the brother of Jesus, he says, Therefore, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. If we confront him, 
He will ultimately flee from us, just like he did with Jesus in the wilderness, when Jesus was tempted in the wilderness. And after that, uh, the devil said departed from him after Jesus had, had countered him on all the things that the devil had said. It says that Satan left him for a season. He didn't, that was not the end of the temptation. He would come back again and again and try to tempt Jesus not to go to the cross. And then once he was on the cross, he was going to make it as tough as he could to think that he couldn't pay the price. But here he says, it says, resist the devil, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will, free, he will flee from you. And so how on earth do you as effectively resist, if you would, you know, uh, something as powerful, if you would, uh, would, as Satan. Well, the first thing you got to do is remember Satan's already been defeated at the cross. First thing to come to your mind, Satan has already been defeated at the cross. And so we are to submit to God. Well, if we're to submit to God, how do we submit to God in that kind of a situation? What kind of guidance have we been given? that would tell us that, okay, I'm, this is what I'm going to submit to. And this is why I love Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6 gives us the flat-out answer to this, okay? In Ephesians chapter 6, we find that Jesus has given us a suit of armor to deal with in dealing with Satan. We find that in Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 to 18. Now, verses 10 to 13 are the preamble to this, and this is what it says, just so we know the context of this armor this, and the weapons that we, are going to be, that we are given. It says, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God, not part of it, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. This is how you're going to resist the devil. He says, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. So the way that we resist the devil, the way we resist what he's doing in our lives is by putting on the armor, the whole armor of God. The battle against Satan is fought in the spiritual realm and it must be addressed with spiritual weapons, not with fleshly weapons are the kind of weapons that we would suppose to get in a flesh, call it a fleshly fray. First, Second Corinthians 10, verses 3 to 5, Paul writes this. He says, for though we walk in the flesh, okay, we walk in these bodies, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they're mighty in God for the pulling down of strongholds, casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. Satan's objective for you and for me is to contaminate the knowledge of God in our lives. 
He wants to contaminate the knowledge of God in our lives and so that we get confused. We may think then that God is angry at us. We may think then that we are so anxious about this and that that there's nobody on our side that God has forgotten about us. We may think all these things. And so God says, no, you don't. And, and maybe we lash back at people, at, at others who are confronting us on things. And the Lord says, no, you don't do that. I've got this spiritual armor. I've got this arsenal for you to use in dealing with this. And I want to walk through that, okay? Ephesians 6 verses 14 and 18 lays out what it is. And I want to talk about it briefly and we'll put it in context. And there he says, stand. Okay, again, we're going to, this is resisting the devil. We're taking a stand against him, okay, in the Lord. He says, stand, therefore, having girded your waist with truth. You've, we've got to have the truth about Jesus Christ, who he is, and who we are in him wrapped around us so tightly that we don't lose sight of that, no matter what the circumstances. So he says, and he says, have that wrapped around you. Know the truth of Jesus Christ and who you are in him. Remember that we in Jesus Christ, we are children of God. We are his bride. And so when this enemy comes against us, he is going to stand for us. And he's showing us how to do that, how he's going to do that. And then he says, having put on the breastplate of righteousness. Now, Satan will try to make you and me feel what? That we are just not good enough. Well, I do my best, but I'm, it's not good enough. God's mad at me because I'm not good enough. I messed up here and there. I'm not good enough. And he'll try his best to make us feel like we are not good enough. And yet we're told to put on the breastplate of righteousness. And, and what righteousness do you and I have? We have the righteousness of Jesus Christ that was given to us when we accepted him as our savior. Second Corinthians 5.21 said this. It says, For he made him, Jesus, who knew no sin, to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Again, when God looks at you in Jesus Christ, he sees the face of his only son, and he sees the righteousness of his only son. And that's all that counts. That's all he, that's what he's looking for. And when he sees that, he says, you are my child. You, there's not, none of this nonsense about being not good enough. Nobody on this planet except for Jesus Christ himself has been good enough to be accepted by the Father. And he was good enough, is good enough, and he invites us into that same standing. Absolutely incredible. Next thing he says, and having your feet, having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. It's like Peter says, be ready. Have your feet ready. Be ready to go and to say, to do whatever where you're called. And Peter writes it this way in 1 Peter 3.15. We saw it earlier. But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and always be ready to give a defense to anyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. Sanctify the Lord God in your hearts. Know him. Be ready to give an answer from the Bible, from the word of God. And he says, above all, taking, taking the shield of faith with which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. 
as Satan hurls his darts at us, what do we do in return? We can sit there and cower and say, oh no, he's right. Oh no, I'm bad. Oh no, you know, I'm not sure about Jesus. Oh no, I'm not sure if I fully accepted him. I'm not sure I did everything quite right. When he hurls that, <clears throat> we again look back to our faith in Jesus Christ. That shield of faith that we are basically, we are who are in Jesus. He keeps us. And he will keep us from being overwhelmed with anxiety as we focus our faith on who he is and who we are in him. It's just, again, a wonderful, wonderful thing. And then moving down, it says, and take the helmet of salvation. One of the things I run into oftentimes with people is that they'll say, well, you know, but I'm not really sure that I'm saved. And he says, put on that helmet of salvation because you can know beyond a shadow of a doubt that you are saved and cannot be condemned. You will not and cannot be condemned. And you say, well, how's that? And Paul writing to Romans, boy, it is so simple, it's pathetic. Okay, he says, if we confess with our mouths that Jesus is Lord, and if we believe in our hearts that God has raised him from the dead, guess what? You just might be saved if you do a few other things. No, it doesn't say that. It says, if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is our Lord, and we, even if we don't do everything he says, if we're saying he's our Lord and I'm doing my best to follow after him, and we believe in our heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. End of story. That is what Jesus, that's what Paul writes, and that's what Jesus is saying. Incredible, incredible, and wonderful thing. You will be saved. And then he says, and take up the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, to be used in confrontation with any, anyone that would raise anything, to not have yourself steeped, have ourselves steeped in the word of God. And then he goes on to the last thing, and I love this because we normally stop with the sword of the Spirit, and I love where it goes on here, because what he says here, he says, praying. Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. This is how we like those animals that have one of their buddies as victim of a lion and they all gang up and you've got another elephant, an elephant coming up and pulling the lion off or a buffalo, another buffalo goring the, the lion. But basically they deal with the situation the way we come alongside and pray for each other. That is what the whole armor is about to position us so that we can have effective prayer. It's a wonderful, wonderful thing. And he puts us in that place. He says, that is how we resist the devil. And when we resist him that way, yeah, you bet he's going to flee from us. He's going to get away because we take, as we take a stand in Christ, by submitting to God, by putting on God's armor, we put ourselves in a position, resisting Satan, and then he departs from us. It'll only be for a while. He'll keep coming back. But we turn around and do the same thing, right back again. So I had not mentioned, but I had mentioned, I had titled this message, Dealing with the Enemy, Dealing with the Adversary. And just as a couple reminders, how do we deal with the adversary? First, we're, we've got to be on the, the alert and be watchful. 
then we need to know who our enemy is. We've got a powerful foe, but we've got a much more powerful advocate. We've got a much more powerful savior. And he says, and then basically we, you know, our enemy, just know that our enemy's objective is to wear us down, to wipe us out, and to destroy us. That's his objective for us. But again, we have an advocate, and God has, who sets the constraints on how far he can go, has basically is, is told us to resist him, and he will flee from us. What a great, what a great thing. You know, and I want to leave you with 1 Corinthians 10, 13, where it says, there is no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. Now, the things that are happening to you are happening to other Christians, other believers in the world. But God is faithful. He will not allow you to be tempted above which you are able, but will with that temptation also bring the way of escape so that you may be able to bear it. And we have just gone through that way of escape by putting on the armor of God, clinging to Jesus Christ, and looking to him. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, thank you for your son. Jesus, thank you for taking our sins on the cross. Thank you for defeating Satan and crushing his head. And we thank you that there will be a day when you're going to throw him into outer darkness where he will no longer have any effect at all. And yet we will be with you and we will reign with you forever. Thank you. It's just too much for us to imagine. And Lord, I just pray for each one here today that you would bless them and keep them and just enable us to put on your armor and to stand against the wiles of the evil one. In Jesus' name, amen.